You're there to provide vision, strategy, culture, key relationships, close big deals. This is the job of the CEO, literally. Pass the vision, recruit great people, build the culture, the core values, the company policies, right? And then get out of the way of the people that are doing the day-to-day. I'm guilty. It's hard for me still. I'm preaching here like I do this perfect day. I don't. I have plenty of times I realized that I was getting too involved in the weeds or getting in the way. If someone who wants to do their job, they don't want their boss breathing down their neck. They'll come to you when they need you. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name's Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast. Today is going to be a solo episode with me, Dan Claps, CEO of Voda Cleaning and Restoration and Franchise Playbook. Super excited to talk about the topic of today, which is building a team. There's a great quote from Steve Jobs that talks about what he was most proud of, the product that he was most proud of in building. It must be the Macintosh or the iPhone. And Steve said, no, those were easy for me. Hard part was building the team that made the products. And so what Steve Jobs was most proud of was the team. Your role as a business owner or as a CEO of a company, so much of it is getting the right people in the room together and making sure they work well and play well together in the sandbox. Which when managing top people, top talent, that's not easy to do. It's a job all in itself. So your job as a business owner is to be the advocate for culture. I always love this David Barr quote or David Barr speech that I learned at a franchising event that I literally think about every morning when I wake up, when I look at my to-do list. And that's as a leader, when building a team, your job as the CEO comes down to five key elements. One, to cast a vision. Two, to create and secure buy-in secure buy-in. Three, to provide resources. Four, to hold people accountable. And five, to be the biggest cheerleader. So let's break those down. Number one, cast a vision. My role in my organization and yours as an owner or CEO is to cast a vision that is clear, crystal clear, and concise. That's communicated within the organization over and over again. Communicated through email, communicated through video, communicated through talking, communicated through meetings. You need to seem like a crazy person talking about your vision again and again and again and again. Now, why is that? You need a crystal clear vision that's concise, easy to understand. People have a lot of information coming at them. And so remember that they don't really hear that vision until you say it again and again and again and again, seven times, writing, email, video, to over and over communicate be an advocate and an evangelist for your vision. But first, your job is to make sure that vision is clear, concise, easy to understand, and something that's communicated over and over and over and doesn't really stray. Number two is to secure buy-in. So you can cast this vision and people get them excited, but now you've got to get them to buy into the vision. 
getting buy-in comes from one, sending out those emails and videos and texts and all these things to get buy-in. But number two, it comes from constant communication, asking people, hey, do you understand the vision? Any objections to the vision? What can I help you to understand this vision better? What are your thoughts on this vision? You need people to believe in that vision as much as you do and to see it as clearly as you see it. Number three is to provide resources. Providing resources doesn't mean just money, throwing money at things. Providing resources means asking the question to your team, what can I do to help you win? How can I help you succeed and get out of your way? What do you need from me? How can I support you? See, leaders, great leaders understand that they actually work for their employees, their team, not the other way around. For me, with Voda and Playbook, I am trying as hard as I can to serve my team. What do you need from me? Now, of course, there's many times where I need the team to support me, but so much is focused on how do I support you? How do I get you in the room, the right person in the room, the right person in the seat, on the bus, give them the tools they need and get out of their way? Now, that's what I consider a superpower of mine or one that's in development is my ability to find the right people, get them in the room and get out of the way. So how do you provide resources? Number one, resources means obviously financial. You need to pay people the right money. Two, you need to be there to listen. My team, we have one-to-ones every week. They get broken up sometimes. We try. And if we don't do a one-to-one, I'm still on the phone listening to what they need and how I can support. It's not always money. It's tools. It's a resource. It's hiring someone. It's a technology. It's a certain budget. It's giving them the tools they need to help them win, help them succeed. Now, providing resources, this is also important to understand that you need to be able to create compensation models that help people win. This is something I consider myself an expert at, creating compensation models that tie people to the success of the business daily, weekly, quarterly, yearly, and long-term. People need to be rowing in the direction, not just for next month or this quarter's performance. Your key members need to be rowing toward long-term goals. Quite frankly, your less key people should be motivated for the numbers to be hit as well. And so that's where compensation models come into play. When you're providing resources, one of the things I highly recommend with the compensation structure is bonus equity agreements. It's a little bit different than true equity. You have phantom equity, true equity, and you have this bonus equity agreement. If you want to learn about it, reach out to me. But there's so many ways you can set people up to win when you win and to lose when you lose to a degree. Obviously, they're not going to bear the same amount of risk that you do as the owner, but people can be tied to the success and failure of the business, success and less success of the business. And this comes down to creating great compensation models. I read books all last summer on specifically how to create great compensation models when I was building the franchise playbook team. Next, you need to understand when you're providing resources, that doesn't mean hiring people for your team. If you hire a director of operations and a marketing manager and a finance manager, and they say to you, I need someone to work with me for me in my team, don't go out and hire the person for them. I've made, let them hire their person. If you want to be a master recruiter and bring in potential hires, say, hey, here's a great person. Don't hire them just because they're for me. I have no you know, decision. You make the decision. I'll help you decide if they're a culture fit, but let your team hire the people. There's a great saying, if you want to hire great engineers, Don't hire the engineers, hire the director of engineers, and they'll bring in the team. Same with your business. Whatever it is, whether it's painting, roofing, a gym, go hire the person who's an expert at managing that kind of business. And chances are, if they're a great manager and leader, 
they're going to have their own people that they're going to bring in that have that track record and time and experience with your champ. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't think like you have to have the deepest relationship with everyone on your team. That's okay. Let your managers have those deeper relationships and you have the deep relationships with your managers. On this topic, which really comes into an idea of centralized command, I highly recommend, highly recommend reading the book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wickman, which talks about in the military, you know, there's branches of command. There's, there's decentralized command. That's what I recommend doing in your business as you're, as you're growing. And of course, when you start, you got to start small. You're not going to have a giant team, but it's something else to keep in mind when you're providing resources. Make an org chart from day one of where you see your business going next month, next year, six years, five years, 10 years, all the way out. And think about, at least as much as you can, think about the org chart. Now, don't use people. When you make an org chart, don't think about, oh, my friend Johnny's going to work here. He's going to be sales manager. No, forget people. Make an org chart around what do you need, right? In our company, you have CEO, COO, uh, CMO, VP of operations, franchise development director, a team underneath there, a team underneath marketing, a team underneath operations, a team uh, underneath finance in the, in the future, legal, right? You've got these different buckets and you need to think about what is the overall org chart going to look like down to the the most junior person on your team. Now, remember, cast a vision, secure buy-in, provide resources. And then what's number four? Hold people accountable. Now, one, the compensation models you create, if you do them properly, they're going to hold people accountable because they're going to want to make that that goal. But holding people accountable is having one-to-ones, listening, clearing roadblocks, making sure that if someone made a mistake, what's the saying? Don't blame them, train them. Sometimes it's not the success of the person that's the problem. It's the systems that are failing them. So whenever you get on a one-to-one, listen, realize that most people want to do a good job and they didn't screw up just because they want to screw up or because they're lazy. Look at the system first. Ask, hey, what's going on in our systems that's causing you to make this mistake? Then if you find out that it's not the systems, then you need to hold them accountable set expectations, be very clear on what's tolerable and not. But you need to first look at the systems and holding people accountable and allow them to hold you accountable. Nobody wants to work for a perfect boss. I've had uh, relationships like that with people where they're never wrong. You're always wrong. They're always right. You know, I remember one time saying, man, I must be an idiot because you're always right. I've never been, never been right in, in, you know, 10 years. You don't want to think about, you don't want those people in your organization. And as a leader, you can't be that person. You have to admit fault and you have to admit when you're wrong. But more importantly, don't place blame on anyone. Understand that your team is going to come to you from the ground level. They're going to have information to bring up the chain of command, up the organization. Remember, there's management down and there's management up. Allow yourself to be held accountable. Drop your ego. Leave your ego outside. You want to own a business and allow yourself to grow with your team. Hold them accountable, have the tough conversations, but let them hold you accountable too when you drop the ball. Because I'm sorry, you're going to. When you're moving and building a business, we're all learning and we're all growing. Number five is to be a cheerleader. People in this general are starving for compliments. Compliment your people. When you see something great that relates to your culture or core values, compliment that. Publicly compliment it. Write it out in Teams messages, send out an email, do it on a team call. Make people feel good. People don't remember what you said. They remember what, how they made you made them feel. And so when you have people working with you, and by the way, nobody works for you. They work for the company. Don't think, oh, they work for me. That's a terrible way of thinking about people. 
They work with you. You work, you work for the company yourself. I've never thought of Voda or Franchise Playbook as my company. That company is too big to be my company. It is a organization of people who all have a stake in the company. That company is bigger than me from day one because it started with an org chart that said, Hey, this is going to be a big company and it's not my company. That's ego. You know, one of the best things I learned from selling my last business was to remove the emotions, the emotions of saying, this business is my baby. No, a business is not your baby. A baby is a baby. A business is a vehicle to get to a goal to build, to help the community, to help your end user, to help your team, to help yourself financially. But it's not your baby. And separate that. Just like your team is not your family. You know, I hate when teams say, we're a family. You're not a family. What is a family? One, you can't leave your family. You don't choose your family. Families are often dysfunctional. The decisions you make with family are more often than not from the heart, which is great, but it's not a logical decision. You make decisions with family because you love them, as you should, unconditional love. That is not what building a company is about, though. When you're building a company, it's a team. It's a high-performing sports team, right? If you keep throwing me the football and I keep missing it in the times that I need to catch it, Eventually, you got to pull me out. It doesn't matter who I am. Pull me out of the game. You got to put someone better in, right? It, it's a high performance sports team. We care about each other. We're all working hard. We're all moving towards a goal. But at the end of the day, this is a team and our goal has to come first. Winning the game has to come first. You know, as a CEO, it's a tough lesson to learn, but your duty is to the company. It's not easy. I always, I love to make decisions for people and I try really hard to make compassionate decisions for people. But I always have to remind myself that for the greater good of the company, that is my duty as the owner. People have entrusted me with this company with, you know, all kinds of different commitments. Franchise partners have entrusted me. Teammates have entrusted me, right? And so I have to perform in a way that is the, for the duty of the company. That is my job. My, responsibilities to that company. Not one person, not two people, not, you know, something emotional, but what's best for the company. And usually we try really hard to blend the two. But if put in a decision-making tree and I have to decide, I'm always going to decide what's best for the company because that in turn is what's best for the greater good of the organization and the people that work there that you owe it to to make the right decisions. So when building a team, remember, cast a vision, secure buy-in, provide resources, hold people accountable, be a cheerleader. Hire the director of engineers or the you know the, the department head and allow them to hire their team. Remember, your job is to be the culture. You're there to provide vision, strategy, culture, key relationships, close big deals. This is the job of the CEO, literally. Cast a vision, recruit great people, build the culture, the core values, the company policies, right? And then get out of the way of the people that are doing the day-to-day. I'm guilty of it. It's hard for me still. I'm preaching here like I do this perfectly. I don't. I have plenty of times where I realized that I was getting too involved in the weeds or getting in the way. If someone who wants to do their job, they don't want their boss breathing down their neck. They'll come to you when they need you. Now, if they're really screwing up, you're going to have to hold them accountable, right? That's that number four. It's hold people accountable. But don't hold them accountable until they need you to. Let people fail and then let them learn a great lesson too for sales people. One of the biggest things I've learned in running franchise development departments is that great franchise development people are self-correcting. What do I mean by that? I've been guilty of, after doing this for 10 years, knowing exactly what needs to be said, when to be said, how to say it, and jumping in and breathing down people's neck around fixing things and how or the order or the way they're doing things. And what I learned was that great people 
they they know what they did wrong. Let them let them self-correct. Give them a little time. It's an investment. When you invest in a, a salesperson, understand they're not going to sell perfect, but they're going to get better. Let them self-correct. Let them come to you. Hey, I had this epiphany. And you know, on my calls, I notice when I do XYZ, it works better. You don't need to tell them I told you so. I knew that. Shut up. Excuse my language, but just listen. Say, that's great. I'm glad that you realized that. It's a great point. And I think you should keep doing that. You don't need to tell them how you knew that and you told them that. Let them self-correct. That's the biggest lesson I've learned over the past year is that I don't need to like get on top of people. Let them say, you know what? I think I made a mistake there. In the future, this is how I would do it. And let them self-correct. Same with anyone in your organization. You need to not only trust people to do the work, let them make decisions, let them make some mistakes, coach them, but don't breathe down people's neck. Nobody wants to work for a backseat driver or a micromanager. It's easy to think you're not a micromanager, but really, seriously, think to yourself, would I be okay with my boss doing this to me? Right? I'll give you an example, candid example. I fling out Teams messages like they're, you know, uh, you know, text messages. And it's not good. Every time I send a text to a group, I send out, out uh, you know, a ripple effect. And so I've learned, or I'm learning, especially lately, I've been really cognizant of trying to do this, to not just fire out a Teams message. As the owner of the company, you have a lot of power. You carry a lot of weight. So don't just start sending out Teams messages unless you know that they make sense. I have a lot more topics on building a team. We'll come back to this one. Thanks for joining the I Fired My Boss podcast with myself, Dan Claps. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. Yeah.